Mm. Yeah, point and click adventure game. Mmm, RPG. Oh. Hey, you got your RPG in my adventure game. Hey, you got your adventure game in my RPG. Two great tastes that taste great together. The Superhero League of Hoboken, tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Today we we will be talking about the Superhero League of Hoboken. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask, Adrian, how have you been doing? I've been doing fantastic. And how far have you gotten in the Superhero League of Hoboken? I have just started Chapter 3. I've completed the first mission. Alright. Fox, how have you been doing? Pretty good. And how far have you gotten in the Superhero League of Hoboken? I just completed it yesterday. Oh, nice. And uh, yourself, how have you been doing? I'm feeling pretty cool. I got a new headset with a, the button for the mic is on the on the ear, so I feel like Cyclops shooting a laser. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, how far have you gotten in Hoboken? To the end of Chapter 4. Okay. I have just beaten Chapter 4 myself, so looks like we have a good variation in how far everyone is. Fox, what games have you been playing lately? Lately, it's just been Hoboken, but I since I finished it, I started up Escape Goat 2. Escape Goat 2? Yeah. <laughs> what? It's, Is it? Well, it's it's, it's basically a, a low-budget indie platformer, or a puzzle platformer. It's, it's nothing special, I just really like the aesthetic. So it's, it's a nice cool-down game for me. Okay. What's the aesthetic like? Is it like one of it's, those retro games, or...? Well, originally it was the first one was pretty pixely. Uh, then, then the second one, they, I guess, got a bigger budget or something, and they totally improved the aesthetic. It's kind of like church mosaic, like early Christian art stuff. Oh, yeah. Is it something uh, Shouty would approve of? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not commit to Shouty doing anything except not liking things, please. <laughs> um. Yourself? What games have you been playing? I just wrapped up uh, Rygar, the Legendary Adventure, for PS2. Uh, that was uh, pretty good. It's from 2002, so it's sort of a relic of action adventures going by, so to speak. Back in a time when there actually was like a zelda exploration element to them, whereas today I think uh, we just get beat-em-ups. So do you mm. think the Zelda... Or I guess I should say the adventure aspect is handled well? Uh, in Rygard, it is, yeah. The mazes are on the small side, so it's never something where I'm heavily backtracking or anything. It's mostly just taking note of what kind of powers you need to get where uh, every once in a while, and not much else. Okay. And uh, is the combat still engaging? Yeah, the combat itself is good. Uh, there's not a huge enemy variety, since most of the, I'd say more of the action focuses on platforming. But the combat has a unique feel. It's basically, if you had the weapon from God of War, but didn't have any dodge button, oh. or any type of targeting, that's actually the one of the biggest differences, because you have this long-distance weapon, but you actually have to kind of aim it analog style. Well, you get to, in God of War, you get to cancel everything into a dodge, right? Yeah. So uh, that's a pretty big difference. Yeah, it is, and uh, one of the big challenges of the actual final boss fight that I was playing last night is that he's kind of hard to hit. You have to do a jump attack to hit him, and you have a long lag time after that, and it's mostly about picking when you're going to have enough time to get in a full attack. Even though he's vulnerable all the time, you need to yourself judge when you can attack. Okay. I want to try that now. I mean, I would recommend it, and obviously you're welcome to borrow it, but it is good. (laughs) And it's short, too. I like short. All right. And Adrian, what games have you been playing lately? 
planning to finish up Metroid Fusion today, playing more Link's Awakening and Valkyria Chronicles. How is Valkyria Chronicles? That's like a action strategy RPG. It, it has RPG elements, but it's not really much of an RPG because you don't ever have to level up anything. You can play the whole game without ever having to play into the RPG elements. So, you know, you won't have situations where you're underleveled or anything like that. It never happens. So, I guess our action RTS maybe would be more accurate, or like what no, genre would you put it under? It it's a it's a bit of a hybrid where, you know, you alternate between turn based and then the real time. I find it hard to really say what it is. I mean, I, I still want I would just put it under strategy or actually no tactical. Yeah, I think or what I like to call that kind of game is turn-based action. Yeah. Okay. Because you yeah. get turns, and then each turn is an action turn. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> like you... another example of that would be Eternal Sonata. Uh, what is that for? Uh, that's a 360 RPG. Okay, I don't have a 360. That's why. But yeah, yeah, you can play it. Um, those sections like an action game. Like I know I used. Uh, I was able to manipulate the reload time of um, one of the soldiers shooting at me by hiding behind a tank and then running up in his face and blowing his brains out. So, you know, it does have turn-based action. That's a good Yeah, the turn-based action from what I saw looked like uh, Valkyrie Profile, but you had that element of tactics there where you were hiding behind stuff and you had to make sure to shoot the guy from, you know, up on the cliff or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's something we were talking about just yesterday, that um, it's more appropriate to really say, call it a tactics game than strategy game, because strategy is more about specific plans of action, whereas tactics is a lot more uh, general plans of action. That's... And that's because you have a lot of uh, incomplete information that you're dealing with, because you're dealing with uh, vision and lines of sight. So, out of curiosity, where did you get those definitions of strategy and tactics? From Daniel. Okay, that's the opposite way I define them. Huh. And it's just a nomenclatural thing. I think I've said before, I just use them the same way they used in chess, since that already has, like, a written... I think that's a good place to start your uh, analysis of tactics or strategy games, is just looking at the uh, hundreds of years of literature already dedicated to that. All right. I just like using them that way because I never say, like, I use the word strategy all the time to describe all kinds of games. Like, I was talking about boss strategies in Rygar, whereas yeah. uh, I never use the word tactical. So the thing about the word strategy is that it's you think about it, almost almost every game has some element of strategy in it. I guess the reason we call strategy games, uh, you know, strategy games because they have, they're much more reliant on, you know, interesting choices, or that's that's what they're all about. You know, when you talk about chess, advanced wars, whereas, you know, not so much on reflex and timing skills. All right, sounds good. Superhero League of Hoboken features two types of screens. Some screens have detailed point-and-click style displays where you can click and interact with a variety of objects and characters. And on other screens, you'll wander New Jersey from a bird's-eye view and stumble into random battles that play out as a turn-based RPG. It's an interesting blend of genres, but how does the execution bear out? How well and in what way do the adventure elements get along with the RPG elements? So this time, I wanted to get at the depth in Superhero League of Hoboken. Folks have been posting on the forums about how the adventure elements and the RPG elements are simplified, I guess, in order to make the experience approachable for fans of both genres. So I think we have a question set here that gets at the surface of the issue, at least. So I wanted to start by asking if the, the puzzles in Superhero League of Hoboken were harder or easier than typical adventure games. Uh, Adrian? Well, I haven't played that many adventure games. 
The only one I can think of is the first chapter to Tales of Monkey Island for the WiiWare, which was not worth it, by the way. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I'm with uh, you on that as well. Yeah. Also, um, no 40 megabyte limitation can excuse the long-ass loading times on that thing, so... Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. But how did the puzzle stack up? I don't remember Tales of... I didn't have have too much problem with Monkey Island. I got stuck once, and that was because of the the water thing. Even though I had the guy with the superpower of water, you can't actually activate his power in the overworld. And then... That's when I'm going all over the place, wondering how the hell do I you know, get to the control tower. And then that's when I pretty much gave up and asked you if I needed to kill those three muscle guys, and you said no, and I'm like, how do I get a control tower? And then you told me, I need two guys. It's, apparently it's two guys over 25%, not 50, in order to walk into flooded areas, which was really lame. <laughs> the thing is that I'm not sure if you can say these are necessarily puzzles. Because well, a lot of it... I don't think that's a puzzle, because the game tells you that. It doesn't say anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if you... It's a little weird, but if you use the arrow keys to move, um, it will okay. tell you when you try to move into water, it will say you need two party members with above 25% in treading water. Wow. See, that's the thing, though. You, like, you could say navigation is itself a puzzle to which... Adrian didn't get all the clues because that's, that's why would you navigation. use the arrow that's, keys? Yeah. <laughs> that's interface. That's not navigation. Yeah. Well, the the puzzle is to get to point B or whatever, and yeah, the, but the part of but the puzzle if, is that you need to you need some clue given to you by the interface, and he wasn't using part of the interface. Eh, I don't know. I don't agree uh, with that. That's that's real iffy, <laughs> and. The other thing about, you know, the puzzle junk is that um, I'm not sure if these are puzzles because a lot of them, like with the Limburger bomb, for example, it's it's not even, like, I had to be in that area a long time where I had to basically just kind of give up and then just go seeing, all right, I can't do this one because there's nothing here I can work with. And then I eventually find the cheese microbe thing in the shop and I was like, oh, okay, that's the thing. And there we go. Uh, I pretty much already knew what to do. But it wasn't a matter of, you know, putting pieces together. It was find the thing that allows you. It's like finding a key in a dungeon. It's like that's not a, it's not a puzzle. You just find it. And I didn't do a puzzle in order to get the key. So stuff like that, I don't think those are really puzzles. It's stuff like the entropy missions, where you do have all the stuff, and it's all a matter of putting them together. That uh, those are more puzzles. And were they harder than? I don't know. Uh, I got through them just fine, but I can't. I don't have a a lot of adventure game experience, so I can't very contrast. So, part what made the entropy missions feel like puzzles was that there were multiple steps to it. Well, <laughs> I, I think what Adrian's saying is that you're guaranteed to have because of the uh, like entrance fees or whatever for the entropy missions. You're guaranteed to have explored all the necessary places to collect all the necessary elements to defeat entropy. So when you enter and are presented the problem, the task there is putting together elements you already have. Yeah. Which I think is the distinguishment you're making in saying that that's a puzzle versus just exploration. Yeah. And even if you manage to uh, find, if if you manage to go to the uh, Edison's lab first and pick up the warranty, it pretty much tells you exactly what you need you know, the sheet drool and the leftover cheese or whatever and whatever that third thing was in order to wipe out the plutonium or whatever plating on the wall. So, you know, that's already, okay, you got puzzle pieces to work with. Yeah, and you have to complete all the other missions anyway, so all those elements are collected at the sites of the other missions. Uh, yeah. So there's nothing outside of directly specified locations that you need to look at. So it seems more like a puzzle when you have a well-defined set of objects that you need. Yeah, like when it's a level of Adventures of Lola, then it's a puzzle. But uh, I think in general, as Adrian was saying, the game is 
more just about finding the right things. So calling, like having to find the shop that sells cheese microbes a puzzle is kind of just like you're taking the definition of puzzle to a really generic level at that point where it's just like a thing you have to do. Uh, <laughs> a nonviolent gameplay challenge. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, the challenge that you're presented with is you've got the Limburger bomb in that example, and you don't have anything that can interact with the Limburger bomb. So what do you need to do? You need to find something. Well, what's finding something? That's exploration, not a puzzle. Would you say it's it's the kind of puzzle you're expecting is where you're acting more of a, of a MacGyver figure than just trying to find the right keys to the right keyholes? Where yeah. Take Limburger puzzle, you, you, instead of just finding a cheese-eating thing, you have to create a cheese-eating thing out of other objects or out of, out of something? Yeah, like if there was... Uh microbes, and then somewhere else there was a potion that makes microbes want to eat cheese. Yeah. <laughs> then that, <laughs> that would be a puzzle. You know what? It would be a good puzzle if it was like uh, you got lactose intolerant microbes, and then uh, the other thing you got was a cure for lactose intolerance. Oh, I never would have figured that out. <laughs> but <laughs> there is Sort of what you were talking about with the interface, but not as insane. Uh, there is another level to that puzzle, or there's a level of obscured or obfuscation to it where, actually, not on the Limburger bomb now, back on the uh, burning down Entropy's wall. Um, Plurpium. Yeah, you're not told in the exact terms what you need. You're given, like, I think they say, like, loam, ovine, saliva. Uh, automobile oil or stuff like that, which are not the exact names of what you're looking for. And I mean, hopefully I'm not the only one that, uh, because of the vocabulary, actually didn't immediately recognize that I already had uh, what I needed. Like in the case of ovine saliva, you would figure that out as soon as you noticed it was saliva. But loam was something I didn't remember until I was... (laughs) already putting the pieces together. I actually had to look up in the dictionary what the hell that was. Yeah, I looked up all those. Yeah, and then later on you've got the Bodlerizing Ray as well, which I think is maybe not a word that everyone knows. No. I thought that was I thought they were I was made up. (laughs) Yeah. Can you enlighten us? Oh Bodlerizing? Yeah. Oh uh to Bodlerize is to like remove the obscenities from or to, like, tone down something. Isn't it from some guy named Bodler? I think I got, like, a Wikipedia page. Uh, I didn't look into the origins of the word because I didn't think that would be relevant to the solution. <laughs> but He's actually from Hoboken. Maybe. <laughs> there are a couple other times I can think of that, like uh, finding the disco ball in Chapter 4. I guess I won't spoil it, but... um. That was interesting that they gave you clues that weren't exact steps as to what to do. Uh, so, Fox, it seems like you've played adventure games before, right? Yeah, it's, uh, at least one. Is Hoboken's puzzles, or are, <laughs> are Hoboken's puzzles on the easy side or the hard side? A little both. I think they have some puzzles that are like really obvious once you find out the way they want you to solve it, or I want to say the first, the, the Limburger puzzle was the way, it was the first puzzle that could kind of shift things into how they expect me to solve puzzles. It's not a great tutorial, but it is a good introduction to how the game works. Yeah. My first uh, ex- exposure to the game was being told it was more RPG-like, so I was kind of expecting multiple solutions to problems, or... So I was approaching it in like a non-linear fashion. So when I first got to that puzzle, I was trying to use things that seemed more obvious than cheese-eating microbes, like having the iron time to try to eat it, and expecting their humor to constitute bombs as being spicy. Yeah. Or, or using wire cutters on it to disable it. But Yeah, I did try both of those things before the microbes as well, and it was kind of disappointing. Yeah. So you said certain puzzles were easy and certain puzzles were really hard? Yeah, for adventure games in general, it, it's kind of the RPG hybrid that kind of makes them more difficult in some points because a lot, a lot of this, a lot of them uh, require finding items 
in the overworld that constitutes a lot of hiding spots. You kind of know you have to you have to know what places you can go to, what places you have to revisit, what places have certain items, which places yeah, there's a lot of items a lot of places items can hide in it. Yeah, the world map adds a lot of complexity whereas like uh it felt like Counterfeit Monkey had a comparable sized world, but each screen was not like a 13 by 16 grid. Each screen was yeah. just the one spot. Definitely. And while they had hiding places, they aren't as pronounced as these. And, and new areas or marketplaces have different icons in other games, whereas every marketplace is the same look. Every person looks exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. I understand the limitations, but it's it adds difficulty or tedium, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> It's one of those things where, like, it's one of the difficulties of playing, like, a text adventure like Zork or something is that you have to make your own map. And this is a game where you don't think you should have to make your own map, but actually a lot of the difficulty would be alleviated if you just wrote down, like, Yonkers Marketplace is at Sector 1C1212 or something like that. Yeah, I did do that, and looking back, I can't imagine how I would get through the game without having that list. That would probably be more like my playthrough. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I'm going to have to start doing that now, because uh, I had to learn the hard way that when you go to the headquarters, there's no like thing to show you that, okay, here are the actual places you can go into. There's nothing like that, so just write them down. I found that I mean, we're getting away from puzzles now, but the game does alleviate that somewhat by the fact that it's really easy to just get from one place to another. Like mm-hmm. Once the moving around on the out. yeah, moving around on the grid to a bunch of random locations that are like on opposite sides of the world takes like a couple minutes. Whereas if I wanted to do that in Dragon Quest, it would be like a three-hour task. <laughs> so yourself. Cool. Uh... Would you say, while we're on that point, that the would you say that the fights in Hoboken are any harder or easier than they are in your standard RPG? It's hard to say because RPGs run such a huge spectrum of difficulty where some games are extremely, like all the fights are extremely hard at the beginning and then just get easier and easier as you go on until they're just formality at the end. So I guess what I would say about Hoboken is not so much that it's easier or harder than other RPGs, but that it has a more level difficulty curve than other RPGs I'm used to playing. And this is partially because of the way the exploration works. But as your characters get stronger, which is on a very slow basis, fights don't really get that much easier. You're still dealing with the fact that anytime one person dies, that's a big hole in your move set. So I I just think in general it it can seem easier or harder kind of depending on whether you're comparing it to fight 1 of Dragon Quest or fight 5000. Okay. I guess maybe part of that is also that the move set or the ability set is fairly small. Like you're not looking at characters that are each going to learn 10 different spells that are all going to get, like, new uh, status effects and stuff like that. Really, from the start of the game, you have access to, like, 75% of what your ultimate ability set is going to be. So dealing with new enemies and prioritizing new enemies is the main challenge, not making use of new abilities. There is an element of satisfaction where... uh... Instead of getting lit one two three, you gradually increase the percentage of increasing cholesterol or something like that, where uh, you build up a specific skill. Um, yeah, and distributing abilities across your party has some. That's so free form that again, it's not like you are guaranteed to end up with this super party at the end that it by definition has every role filled. <laughs> You don't have your warrior, mage, cleric, etc. Yeah, although you can if you want, right? Well, it's basically up to you to distribute that, but I don't think that there's that much diversity in the characters that 
you're going to have that level of completion or balancedness. I can't think of the word. Yeah, okay. Fox, would you say that the fights in Hoboken are harder or easier than in a standard RPG? I would say they're definitely easier. And it's a byproduct of their being of them being extremely simple. So when you say simple, like what's the evidence of that? There are what, three different enemy types? It's it's a lot of it's rock, paper, scissors game with cholesterol, with cholesterol rust and uh with cholesterol rust plant ro- Plants and robots. Yeah, and robots. It, it's actually four. It's animal, humanoid, okay. plant, robot, or metallic, not robot. And once you get access to the superpowers like that affect those most, it's you, your whole strategy is already planned out. And as you go on to fight newer and more powerful enemies, that strategy doesn't really change. They don't really gain new abilities. The, the enemies, at least, it's always the same kind of attacks, whether it's physically hitting someone, doing a status, or like a self-destruct attack. It's, it never really changes, I feel. It's also worth noting that you don't have any MP, so it's not... That's usually something that causes you to change up your strategy in RPGs, having to manage when you can afford to use a spell. But uh, that's just not an element of your strategy in this game. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, one of the reasons Hoboken would feel redundant if it had MP is that there are no healing abilities. So MP essentially works in most RPGs as a form of ammo in that you can fight so many battles before you run out of ammo. So it's a secondary level uh, where you're really trying to keep HP. Like, that's what you need to survive, but you need ammo to keep your HP. But in Hoboken, because... You only have limited rests outside of your home base. On any given expedition, your ammo is just how many times you can recover. Yeah, I guess that's fair. That's just how many combats you can endure. And there's only one part of the game I can think of that would constitute like a marathon of fighting, which is kind of where the difficulty comes in other traditional RPGs, is marathoning through a dungeon. Mm-hmm. I think structuring or prioritizing your combat so that no one dies is uh, in and of itself a challenge or I mean something that I try to do is to make sure that as few enemies as possible get an attack and a lot of times that involves compensating for when someone gets a bad roll on a spell or adjusting to like someone who has died uh, in combat and making sure that I can always be lowering the number of enemies, not just like attacking the first one over and over again. Uh, I think targeting the weak points or figuring out which enemies you can kill before the end of your turn uh, is what makes it strategic. Yeah, there's certainly higher levels of play that you can approach and uh because there are a finite number of enemies, you can also just sort of grind through it using the auto-battle function. It's neat how there's such a wide breadth of scalable difficulty there. Yeah, I basically always tried to get as far as possible, use up all my rests before I would go back to uh, the home base. But as Fox was saying, because of the lack of anything constituting a dungeon in this game, unless you wanted to count the... Uh, sewer systems or whatever, Yeah, you are free to make that choice of whether you want to recover all the time. Whereas, again, in Dragon Quest, once you enter a dungeon, you really need to try and get the most out of it, or else you're just going to get stuck, or you're going to die, or not move forward. Whatever. <laughs> so Dragon, <Not> win. <laughs> Dragon Quest, in that sense, does a better job of pointing to its... Uh, what makes it complex, because you're forced to learn it. Yeah, and this is also an element, not just the lack of dungeons, but the finite battles make it so that you don't have any... Like, getting from point A to point B is eventually free, as long as you grind through it. So in some sense, this is a game that emphasizes the grind, because you can win the entire game just by grinding. But in some sense, it also downplays it in that if you don't want to grind, you can challenge yourself essentially to push through 
uh, while doing as little as possible, and you're never going to be forced to fight those level one battles again. As long as you can do the encampments, you're good. Right. Yeah. All right. So, Adrian, when did a, an element of puzzle solving in Superhero League of Hoboken influence your approach to combat? I did try to use a uh, Robomop's ability to clean on one of the amoebas. <laughs> that that didn't work. You know so that, yeah, that's confusing how they put the two versions of superpowers with each other. Yeah, it turns out that uh, being able to clean anything power up is um, a lot less applicable than think like the garbage in Edison's lab. You can't really clean it. Uh, I think I also tried using it on the Limburger bomb too, but that, that was another one of those. No, you can't do that. He's like, I don't see any mess around here. You know, there's a big <laughs> stinky pile of cheese in the car. So there's garbage at least once per chapter, and Robomop uh, will only clean it up that one time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, doesn't want to get his hands dirty. I guess. Fox, you got anything about how puzzle solving influenced your approach to combat? Honestly, trying to use different powers on things like Limburger Bomb and having it not work, I assumed superpowers were just there as a joke, and I never used them in combat until yourself mentioned it in chat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when the red tape superpower does nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or crimson tape, I'm sorry. I had yeah. just assumed they were they were jokes and not spells, so that, that had greatly improved my ability to fly through enemies. Is using them, so because they were failing in in puzzles, I had not thought of them working in combat. I see. So sometimes it's hard to dis disentangle what you have is appropriate in what context. Right. I guess part of that is that uh, you can buy stuff from the pawnbroker, and sometimes it's a thing that will let you clear a puzzle, and sometimes it's a thing that's going to adjust your battle stats. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say. I don't know, like, counter to that, or um, money is the only time that I feel like the combat really connects to puzzle solving, because obviously you need to buy certain items to be able to solve puzzles. So you do need to be able to grind for money, if you will, to be able to solve puzzles. And if you, say, killed all the enemies that are at a low level and you don't have enough money to buy the next puzzle-solving item, then you are going to need to approach the harder combat. There's also those uh, hidden stashes of loot scattered about the world that you just find. Yeah, everybody loves digging. I, I don't get it. <laughs> How do they know where to dig? It's probably one of those unspoken superpowers. <laughs> but uh, along with that uh, note on economy is that what you were saying about buying better equipment, sometimes the better equipment will help you win more battles. So you have to prioritize, do I want to buy the puzzle item right now, or do I want to buy the equipment to be able to fight more battles to make more money, and in the long run, ultimately be able to just buy all the puzzle items when I need them? That's scary, because uh, puzzles are a hard block, but combat is a soft block, where, like, you know, push comes to shove, you can kind of pray that you won't get into combat or maybe fudge it through with just one guy alive. So it's hard not to just prioritize the puzzle items. I'm not sure combat is totally a soft block because I think the steroid men is an instance where you can encounter them long before you have any chance of beating them. Yeah. And you were you were actually saying that you had just assumed, you were telling me offline that you had assumed that that was a hard block because... It was just something that is introduced, or it's the only time that combat is basically turning you down. There are exceptions, but like with the brown two pass, but for the most part. Money is, is I think, a big thing that influences the way I combat, because that's a finite resource, ultimately. And that before, when I encounter enemies that I knew I had no chance against, I'd run, but there's always a chance you're going to lose money or yeah. an item, so... Generally, I'll, I'll save after every battle in case that happens and either tough through it or die. Yeah, I, I ended up just at the end of Chapter 3, going on that just sort of you can spend money on whichever you want. I ended up just getting totally sidetracked, buying 
good items and then that was good enough to win the next set of battles and then just buy more combat items, ignore all the puzzle items until I had cleared all of the random battles by the end of chapter three. <laughs> uh, so Adrian, I guess the flip side would be, did combat ever influence your approach to puzzles? Well, I think I had the idea to use the put animals to sleep superpower on the sheep, but uh, I don't think that worked, or I already found out that there was a sheep thing before I could actually try that idea out. It doesn't work. If it's a combat superpower, you can never use it in the adventure scenarios, and if it's an adventure superpower, you can never use it in the combat scenarios. Yeah, but for some reason they tell you about the one, or they tell you you can't use the puzzle ones in combat, but they don't tell you the other. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you can select to use put animals to sleep outside of combat. Yeah. Uh, it's really strange that disconnect they got there. Yeah, I'm really not sure why that is, why the way it is. I think it's funny that putting people to sleep actually hurts them. Well, yeah, it's because it's like, you know, putting them to sleep. Wink. Wink. <laughs> I believe the word you want is euphemism. Okay, while we're somewhat related to the concept of, of money as an influence on both of these, has anyone used the, the, the ports you can go to to hop across rivers without having to go around them? Uh, have you guys used any of those? I used those a lot at the beginning of the game, specifically the one near HQ. Yeah. Uh, one reason, because I didn't notice that you could just go around. <laughs> so it's kind of annoying that I wasted a lot of money on that. <laughs> but by the time I got to any of the others, I think I had already had enough water superpower that it didn't matter. I needed it in Chapter 3 to get to um, Yonkers because I wasn't full up on swimming yet. I hadn't got past the strongmen. Yeah, it's actually possible I may have used that one. And I wonder... Did everyone else use that one? I had water power by then. Okay. I was, it was my second time through, so I knew how to. I was curious whether you needed uh, water power. Or, I mean, you needed... Couldn't get water power until you'd done that, but I guess that's not the case. I used the aqua and cyan isotopes in order to give red tape the water power so I could actually go to the control tower, which is the benefit of actually reading what the things do. <laughs> Which, another weird thing, you can't read what the items do unless you're in a shop. Wait, really? Really? You can read what they do? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, if, you mean... if you go to the shop and then you click the look, it'll tell oh, you increases yeah. the tread water superpower and then the exact number. But if you, like, do that in the overworld or even the... Like on the like, hero just... screen? Yeah, on the hero screen, and you look at it, it'll just give like a very vague description. It's like it's a blue thing, and it's a blue liquid. I'm just like, Ugh, doesn't tell me anything. I think when you go to use it, it tells you though. Yeah, it, it shows a uh, the status and then the power, which kind of begs the question: Why can't you just tell me when I click the look? When I use the look function. Oh, and you can also see in your inventory when you're on a point-and-click screen because it'll show the, like, cyan isotope, and doesn't it say, like, 25 or 30 or whatever percent it is? Yeah, it's, it'll have a number. It. Yeah. It'll have a number on it. It won't tell you what it's for, though, so if you have, like, the black or yellow isotope, it won't tell you what that power is. It'll have a number on it, though. So. Okay. Yeah, it will tell you when you get to use it, though. Yeah, at that point, I figured that I don't need to go to shops anymore. I can just use it, see what it says above in the thing when it's asking you, okay, who do you want to increase? Right. All right. So, Fox, would you say that the blend works between adventure and RPG? I don't know. I felt really disappointed in the ways that the puzzle only had one solution. Just just that, that Limburger puzzle killed me. Killed all my expectations wow. for you. <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good, though. It lets you know right away whether it's uh, the game for you. It's true. <laughs> uh, but I guess as I got more into it, as I got, as I got past that and, and you know settled my expectations, I felt like they kind of worked together in some in some decent ways. How do you mean? Like, I feel like uh, the limited number of encounters per region is is so you don't get bogged down doing typical RPG stuff. 
I feel like that's an influence on the adventure game. So you know, so all that backtracking you typically do in an adventure game is bogged down with enemies the entire time. Well, you could argue that that's an oversimplification of RPG tropes in the way that only having one solution is an oversimplification of the adventure element, right? That's true. I need to ruminate more on that. <laughs> Yourself? Do you think the blend works? Yeah, I actually really like Superhero League of Hoboken. I guess maybe this is also because I'm coming from the opposite, or maybe not opposite, but unlike Fox, I don't like adventure games. Or maybe that's too general. I shouldn't say I don't like them at all, but I'm not real big on puzzle solving. So exploration is something I enjoy. And I feel like this game does a good job of making exploration a challenge via the economy and the optional, or the option between buying puzzle solving items and upgrade items. So, I mean, exploration is something I consider an adventure element and Exploration is complemented by this game's sense of character building, and it um, also is the the limited battles, I think, work in a way that make the exploration more... I'm more willing to engage in exploring just... or backtracking or exploring some random area because of that. So I think it does a better job than your standard uh, infinite random battle RPG. So in general, yeah, this is a game that is sort of like the ultimate of what I want from an RPG. I just don't like the superhero League of Hoboken setting. Oh, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, if this, like, if Earthbound was this, like, gameplay, then this would be, like, one of, I mean, maybe it's an exaggeration to say one of my favorite games. It would be a game I really loved, but I just really hate the setting. So it's kind of, like, it's disappointing in a different way, where, like, <laughs> I want this game idea to be a different game. <laughs> so when we talk about the Limburger Cheese Bomb, and it's not really a puzzle, it's just an excuse to have you explore, the solution is to explore. Um, yeah, I mean... That's the adventure element feeding into the exploration element, which is really well put together, you would say. Well, that's the puzzle element feeding into the exploration element. Yeah. Uh, both of those are adventure elements, though, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's all I'm, I want to explore anyway, and so that's structuring my exploration in some way versus I, I don't want to stare at a screen and think about what I have to do with my items. Remove H. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Adrian, does the blend work? Well, like, I wouldn't know what to judge cohesiveness or disjointedness of this, these kind of things are, but I would say that it is easy to understand. It's easy to go transition between them, so I would say that, yeah, it's pretty cohesive. If anything, I'm having a harder time thinking of when was something disjointed. So, yeah, I would say it, it, it is it's a cohesive adventure. It's just... The problems that, that we have come on the game are less having to do with it being cohesive and more just to do, like, weird interface issues and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Well, they're more... I feel like most of the problems we've cited or things we didn't like are more specific to the combat or specific to the puzzles, not specific to the way they work together. Yeah. Not specific to how they relate to each other or how you move through them. It's like it's it's easy to get that this game is about exploring around this whole world, going inside these you know adventure screen segments, solving or buying whatever you need, and at the same time in these overworld sections you can fight stuff, RPG battle system like that. It's easy to understand, and I don't see any disjoint in that. I mean, yeah, you can distinguish the different sections, but being able to distinguish them, I don't think has anything to do with them being disjointed. So uh, I would say it's good. Personally, um, I find it easy to take for granted that the adventure screens are sort of a payoff for exploration. Uh, so sometimes I feel like I have this RPG overworld where the combat is kind of paint-by-numbers, uh, and then the adventure screen, which is also paint-by-numbers, and uh, it's easy to lose sight of that 
forest amidst the trees, as it were. Steve Moretzky, writer on Superhero League of Hoboken, was responsible for a number of adventure games back in the day. Up next, we'll reflect on his thoughts regarding puzzle and story design. For this next part, I wanted to discuss Steve Moretzky's interview in the book Game Design, Theory and Practice 2nd Edition by Richard Rouse III. Moretzky has some interesting responses that I wanted to go over. So first up, he says, My desire, and I think this goes for most adventure games writers, is to do more story and less puzzle. But puzzle is necessary to keep that 30 to 40 hour playtime goal. Uh, Adrian, what balance do you think Superhero League of Hoboken strikes between story and puzzles? Well, actually, I'm surprised with how little story there is. Because um, I think there's far more um, cutscene you got to go through for Tales of Monkey Island relative to this, where you get like <laughs> only like one text box. You don't even see the characters interact with the townspeople that much. Not on their own, anyway. You get just straight to the point questions with maybe some humor thrown in to make it not too direct. So... It's not as heavy on the story as I would think. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure there's way more story in something like Phoenix Wright, and that would sound like more what this guy would probably be talking about. But uh, yeah, it's for, like a visual novel or something like that. Yeah, but for the most part, I would almost say that um, it's a it's a fine balance. But I I would say that um, for someone saying that adventure game writers want to do more story and less puzzle. Uh, this is a uh, and this is the game he worked on, right? Yeah, yeah. I would almost go like, "What, really? You're well, the guy who said that?" Because <laughs> 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 it is worth noting that in the same interview, he says, "Like, uh, originally, Planetfall was a mostly story game, and then we were concerned it wouldn't sell, so we kind of threw in some puzzles." Planetfall takes like two hours to beat. He also did a, a Mind of Forever Voyaging, and that's almost exclusively story. So part of Moretzky's deal is that he tweaks how many puzzles are in a game so that it will sell. Huh. And Adrian, can you think of a game that has a balance that you like between puzzle and story? What would you say well, is the ideal balance, and give me a game? I don't know. I'm pretty lenient on that. Like The one that I think probably had the most text, or at least that I played, was Terranigma, and I'm pretty fine with that. Okay. Yourself? Wait, what was the question? Sorry. Uh, what balance does yes. select <laughs> strike? Yeah. Well, yeah, also, I mean, about length again, that seems insane that he would say that because Superhero League of Hoboken, well, to play half of it, it's taken me maybe seven hours or something like that. I don't know how long it took you to beat at Fox. I wasn't timing it. Yeah, I, I just have, I wasn't timing it either. I just have like a mental sense. But yeah, I don't think it has all that much story. It's like, I guess detail does count as story, like when you're looking at explanations of stuff. Yeah. So mm. Superhero League does allow you to engage in your own way or to your own depth in the story. You don't need to read every hero's backstory and look at most items or get info on stuff. So I I like that. I like that it allows you to ignore that stuff, maybe partially because I just said that I don't like the setting and story of Superior League of Hoboken. <laughs> but also, we just said it doesn't have that many puzzles, so it's weird to talk about story-puzzle balance. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think it has a pretty decent amount of story. The fact that you can look at things is just significant. All right. And what game would you say has the ideal balance between those two things? A game which has... The ideal balance between puzzles and stories. And yeah. Story. A game which has no puzzles and minimal story. <laughs> That's Super I, Mario Brothers? I mean, now, I, I actually do like story to a certain amount when it's well done. 
as I've said a million times now, I don't like puzzles. So it's weird for me to pick something because uh, I don't like adventure games, and that's clearly what this is talking about. Yeah. But the closest thing I could pick would be, I think the Legend of Zelda series strikes a nice balance. Um, oh, it really does. I think that Majora's Mask is a good example of one that is heavier on the story side where you're getting mm-hmm. a lot of character stories and some of the puzzles are more linear because you're just sort of going along with what you're being instructed to do. The puzzles Whereas, do feed into the story a lot more there too with the masks. Yeah, I think that it's a really solid interplay of story and puzzle because you get story by engaging with things. There's no sense of like just cruising through the game and reading through text like a visual novel or counterfeit monkey where the game keeps talking to me and I don't care because I just want to play something. In Majora's Mask, you have to go talk to people and seek out quests on your own. So engaging in the gameplay and engaging in the story are both done sort of simultaneously and both at your own pace. Yeah. Okay. Whereas, like, playing through the dungeons is, doesn't really progress that so much. Uh, Fox, what balance would you say that Superhero League of Hoboken strikes between pori- story and puzzle? Pori? Yeah. Morpheum. <laughs> um... Thinking about the story of the game, it, it feels to me like the whole thing is like a set piece, and everyone just kind of knows they're in a game, and they're just playing, kind of oh. playing along. I uh, like the word set piece. Yeah, it, it, it really describes how I feel about it. Uh, and like it, when 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 Reski says he wants to, you know, to write more story and do less puzzle, it just seems to me that he's really interested in putting as many gags into this game as possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that could be more of what he's talking about. Even the combat. Yeah, yeah. In the combat. Yeah, God knows I, I didn't read any of that bullshit. Oh, <laughs> uh, they were funny at first, but um, once I started seeing the same enemies and I knew they said the same thing, I stopped reading it for a while. The game oh. even like puts up a prompt saying, "You can just click through this if you want. You don't have to wait for it." <laughs> you just kind of read it the first time, and you go, "Oh, that's kind of funny." And then go on. Yeah, the lawyer sees an ambulance and runs off after. <laughs> but uh. Thinking about those kind of game, uh, that kind of balance, I, I think of uh, like two different schools of, of, of adventure game designers. And that's something like Ron Gilbert versus like Shutakumi. And Ron Gilbert I consider more of, of, a, of a puzzle or kind of adventure game where he, he puts the focus on doing the puzzles and stories like, a, like an excuse to have those puzzles there. And Shutakumi, I guess it's more traditionally a visual novel, but I, I consider Ghost Trick on the closer edge to adventure game than and his other stuff. And and those are definitely story-first puzzles as plot points. For the record, I've never played Phoenix Wright, so I don't know <laughs> why I'm talking about it like I do know what I'm talking about. But, you just yeah. fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just the only other like adventure game or thing that would qualify one that I know of, because I know you do do some like like actual puzzle stuff in the Phoenix Wright, pretty sure. Like, you actually have to know what's going on with the cases, which is where stories... I yeah. mean, that's where the whole objection thing comes in, so that's why I figure... And, uh, Fox, what would you say strikes the perfect balance between story and puzzle? Honestly, I really like the way Ghost Trick handled it. I wasn't really bored when it came to either segment or, you know, if I was thinking about something else. I, I, it, always, it always felt natural or felt like an interesting thing to do at the time. I'm happy with the balance so long as I'm not just bored by it or annoyed by it. Like, if, if I feel like I'm, I'm really into the story at a point and they're like, oh, solve this puzzle before you can go any further, and I get annoyed by it, that'll be a problem, but I can't think of any examples for that, so I'm just shooting hot air. <laughs> that makes uh, four of us. <laughs> I actually really like the balance Counterfeit Monkey had, kind of for the same reason yourself was talking about with Majora's Mask, in that just investigating the world would give you a little bit of backstory on how grammar manipulation worked or the lore behind it or, like, the backstory behind my character and would also give me clues on how to solve further puzzles or, you know, solving a puzzle then would trigger a plot event and then I would get caught up in uh, this police scene at the 
roundabout or something like that. So I thought there was a nice flow between story and puzzles there. Yeah, it's funny how much stuff you mentioned that was just the stuff that I skipped through on Counterfeit Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, shut up, shut up, shut yeah. up. It, uh, you have to buy in. You have to be able to enjoy the story, too. Yeah. yeah. And when I think about Hoboken, I think what I am going to remember is the set pieces, and that's why I enjoy the story. Like, getting to help out Dick Clark. Yeah. It's really charming. <laughs> I guess it's touching. <laughs> I always wanted to make Dick Clark's dreams come true. <laughs> um, Moretzky also says, uh, quote, It seems like what makes adventure games so compelling and obsessive are really difficult puzzles that have, that have you up all night, thinking about them even when you're not sitting down playing the game. Uh, so I assume no one has experienced this with Superhero League of Hoboken? Uh, no. <laughs> Sitting up all night. <laughs> well, I did over the uh, over the one. I forget what it is, but you need to get some stuff out of a warlord's mansion that I had just skipped over for who knows yeah. what reason. Yeah, you sat up all night and then asked me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Is what happened." I sat up all night and then asked yourself. I guess I would have consulted a hint book. But Adrian, have uh, other puzzle games done that with you? Normally, I usually just like to finish a puzzle, like, right then and there. I don't like to leave puzzles hanging. you never been normal. stumped? I have been stumped, but I usually stay stumped until I get myself unstumped. Or, in the case with Second Quest, you both were with me, <laughs> I'd just say, uh, to hell with it, tell me where to go. Because this is not fun anymore. <laughs> I see. How about with action games? Do you ever get stuck and then think about it while you're not playing it? I feel like I have, I just can't remember when, because I know that I really like thinking about boss patterns. And Like, I probably did that with Azure Strike or Gunvolt. It's just, like, it wasn't something so heavy that, you know, I would think about it as that has me up all night. It's like, no, I, I kind of think about it during the day when I have time to daydream, but it's not something I keep thinking about so much that it has me up all night. I don't think I've ever had that. Tossing and turning in bed thinking about Viper. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing like that. Sounds a little erotic. <laughs> uh, Fox, have you ever experienced that where you get hung up on a puzzle and then think about it while you're not playing the game? I, I try to more often because w w what I'd end up doing is I hit a wall and then it's like 20 minutes before I decide to give up and check game facts. But I, I know this is part of what the author intends for making games is for you to ruminate over it for all night. Yeah, I find I like to let myself be stumped for a while, and uh, sometimes the solution comes to the surface, and then sometimes I ask yourself. Um, <laughs> does that ever happen, happen with action games for you? Not really. Well, does what happen? Do I get stumped? On... Yeah, and then you think about it while you're not playing it. Yeah, sometimes. Ridley. Ridley was uh, the action game. Okay, here we go. Well, that's not an action game, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, but Ridley himself as a boss... Uh, Holiday he really, 2015. He really had me up where I was watching back my own video just trying to see how he worked. Yeah, the reason we left him out as a playable character in Smash is because he's getting his own game. <laughs> <laughs> right, he couldn't be booked. <laughs> what, what, I, what I usually hate the most when I'm stumped about something is if... I don't know if I have all the elements I need yet, or if I, I, there's a place that I haven't been to yet that I don't know if I'm supposed to get to. I, just the uncertainty of what I'm missing, or if I have everything, is, is usually the biggest factor in whether I consult a guidebook or not. Whether or not you have that uh, cheese-eating microbe, or you just are not even in the right state. Yeah, just just knowing if I have all the items together, or if I'm in the right place, is... Just, it's all, that's all I want to know before I'll, I'll sit and think about it for a while. So you want, the, you want that Lolo experience, where you have the, the room, you've got everything there, and you just need to know how to plug it together. Yeah, I love one-room puzzles. Yourself, have you ever gotten stumped about a puzzle and uh, tossed and turned thinking about it? Similar to what Beth the other two said, I don't like putting down a game, so... I have a tendency to want to solve the puzzle before I uh, walk away from it. And I also 
like having the knowledge, as Fox said, that I have all the pieces together and I'm willing to put in the thought as long as I know that I have the pieces. And that's probably why I got farther in Adventures of Lolo than in, for instance, Counterfeit Monkey, uh, where, you know, I may have missed a tome that could have been turned into a toe. Um, or an into case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so as a rule for a very long time, I refused to use FAQs or guidebooks because I just thought that, you know, the only way to gain appreciation for a puzzle is to go through the steps of figuring it out and solving it. And at this point in my life, I've come to the conclusion that I don't have an appreciation for puzzles. And so when I get stuck, I just immediately consult an FAQ because I don't care anymore. It's it's not something I'm going to like in the game. <laughs> it's worth noting that there is a segment of the Moretzky interview where the interviewer talks about how to properly gate a player, tell them what boundaries there are on the puzzle. Yeah. Well, that's important. Yes. Uh, do you ever think about action games where you get stuck, or uh, are you the sort that doesn't turn it off? With action games, I'm much more likely to set it aside. A recent example... I mean, see, this, like, it's different in action games, because action games, there's a lot of subconscious learning that goes on, where just, like, developing muscle memory and memorizing patterns... You know, you don't stay up at night thinking about that, but your brain actually is working on it. So a recent instance was I beat Ninja Gaiden, uh, the NES game, and I was playing the final level. I played through the entire game and was stuck on the final level, uh, and I just sat there and, like, tried to power through it for, like, two hours, and it was, like, impossible. And then I put it aside for the night, came back to it the next afternoon and beat it in like a half hour or something like that, just because I had internalized all the necessary elements and there wasn't as much work to do, essentially. Right, you transferring all that into long-term memory and muscle memory and good stuff like that. Yeah. All right. To, to kind of play off of that, I'm more willing to be stumped on a puzzle if there are other puzzles that I can solve at the same time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I can at least move into my subconscious and kind of think about it while I'm solving something else. I think that helps a lot. I guess Super Hero League of Hoboken has that with the five-mission structure. Yeah. It's true to an extent. Thank you, everyone, for joining me on this discussion of uh, Superhero League of Hoboken. Before we go, yourself, what would your superpower be? Uh, after this podcast, I feel like uh, not hearing static noise would be a good superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that doesn't come through. Um, I, when I do noise removal, I wonder if it will move that line. Um, <laughs> yeah, Audacity is very sensitive about that kind of thing. <laughs> Fox, uh, what would your superpower be? Item duplication. Oh, okay. I'll take it. Uh, was this after watching the Animal Crossing speedrun this week? It was not. That that was the whole speedrun, just item duplication. <laughs> <laughs> Which, admittedly, in a game like Animal Crossing, what do you expect? But, uh, Adrian, what would your superpower be? Stopping time. Oh, that that seems useful. Can you still yeah. shoot when time has stopped? Like, is it Flash Man or is it Bright Man? He still no. shoot. What is no. Adrian killing it's... people with this power? <laughs> it's it's Dio. The plan. That, that way, I can yell the water. <laughs> okay. I guess I uh, got a little overzealous there. <laughs> don't tell me none of you know don't know Joe's Joe's bizarre adventure. Uh, no, I don't. I'm aware of it. Shit. Yeah, we'll have to read all of it. So lame when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a fighting game. No, it's a manga. Ah. No, it's a fighting game. So uncultured. It has a fighting game. Um, fuck. <laughs> any final words? Not really. I don't think I have any. That sounds good. Uh, 
Adrian, any final words? I hope for I hope to come to something more conclusive on this game the by next podcast when I beat it. Sure. Good luck. Uh yourself, any final words? Uh I'm gonna enjoy the next uh hopefully six to twelve months before we play another puzzle game for the commune. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well thanks again. All music in this podcast was taken from Superhero League of Hoboken. The crash sound effect is from www.freesfx.co.uk. It's Junk, Fall, and Crash by Sound-Ideas. That's Dash the character, not like, you know, his name is Sound Ideas. It doesn't spell out the A-S-H. I'll leave you with this final thought. Many games have blended genres, and they've done it in a variety of ways. For example, Sonic Adventure has item collection hunts and linear shooting galleries, but in their own separate campaigns. Blaster Master, on the other hand, includes side-scrolling platform shooting and overhead shooting in each and every level. When a game uses multiple genres, what does it do to make sure they stick together? Are there times when the experience is jarring? You risk losing focus by including multiple genres, but hopefully you gain meaningful variety in the process. If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com. Oh, I'm eating a salmon burger, by the way. Two great tastes that taste great together. Except they don't really taste great, but that's okay. Oh shit, I wasn't supposed to read that part. Whatever, you got your lines.